Jonah was a prophet on the run. Now, the thing about Jonah and us is that everybody goes on the run from God sometime. It may not be quite as blatant or furious as Jonah. It may be. Maybe you've been on the run like Jonah, where you knew God had something for you and you didn't want any part of it. You took off to the far country or across the sea or across the state or across wherever. But maybe being on the run was more subtle. Sometimes people are on the run and show up in church every week. Did you know that? Put on a good show, but the heart is really quite far from God. Or resistant to what God wants to do in us. So we're reading Jonah these next few weeks, and we're going to be reflecting on what it's like for him to run from God. And we don't need to think that that doesn't apply to us because we've never actually bought a ticket on a boat to get away from God, what God wanted us to do. If you have, it's even better for you. But if not, the rest of us, let's remember that running from God is also something about an interior posture toward God. Sometimes no one else knows when we're on the run. Now, we don't know a lot about Jonah as a historical figure. He is mentioned a couple of times in the Old Testament in the book that bears his name, uh, but also in 2 Kings 14.25, he's described there as a prophet uh, under the reign of King Jeroboam, who was one of the bad kings in Israel. Uh, he was engaged in that prophetic ministry 750 or so years before Jesus was born, kind of in that time frame, so that kind of puts it, puts it there for you. Um, the book of Jonah was probably written down after that. We don't know exactly when. The folks who study those things tend to debate it. Uh, but chances are it was written down sometimes afterwards, and Jonah isn't portrayed as the author. So we just kind of do that housekeeping work there and know what's going on. What we do know about Jonah is that he did not want to do what God was calling him to do, did he? Jonah did not want to do what God was calling him to do. In fact, he wasn't just on the run from God. More specifically, he was on the run from God's call on his life to preach repentance and forgiveness to his enemies. Jonah wasn't just on the run, he was on the run from a calling. And in the process of that running, he had to learn what we need to learn. Today's bottom line. Running from God does not mean running out of grace. And that's good news, isn't it? for people on the run from God. Running from God does not mean running out of grace because God's grace pursues people who run from Him. Jesus comes for runners. And that is a comfort to all of us who at one time or another have held our hearts back from what God wanted to do. Now the story of Jonah jumps straight into the action, doesn't it? I mean, if you open up to Jonah and you read the first couple of verses, it wastes no time telling just how opposed Jonah is to what God wants to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness. We'll come back to that in a minute. Their wickedness has come up before me, God says. Verse 3, Jonah says, I'm out of here. Doesn't even, he doesn't argue with God. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't try to have a negotiation. Maybe you've negotiated with God before. Here's what I want you to do. Well, what if I do some of it and leave the rest of it for somebody else? Jonah's not like that. He just says, or he doesn't say anything. Verse 3 says, Jonah set out to flee. 
to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In that first paragraph, those first three verses, you hear this from the presence of the Lord a couple of times, don't you? Maybe you noticed that as we were reading through it. Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid his fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish. That's three times for the city, away from the presence of the Lord. And the emphasis here in those opening verses is this theme for the whole sermon series, Jonah was fleeing from God. He was a prophet on the run from God, away from God's presence. But Jonah would discover what we already know, is you can't get away from God's presence, can you? You can't get away from God's presence. Now, Jonah was willing to go very far out of his way to get away from God. If you pull out a map of the Middle East and kind of chart Joppa, which is the port city, probably not too far from Jerusalem there, uh, where he was doing his prophetic ministry with the kings, goes down to Joppa. Now, if you want to go from Jerusalem to Nineveh, and Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq, the city of Mosul, kind of in that area. So if you watch the news and you've seen kind of things going on over there, that orients it a little bit. It's only about 500 miles or so, give or take, from Jerusalem area over to Nineveh. Now here's the thing. That's a long way, isn't it? And if you have to walk, it feels even longer. The thing is, Tarshish is in Spain, (laughs) 2,500 miles away. So this guy was willing to go five times further to get away from the presence of God than the place God was actually calling him to. He was willing to go out of his way to get away from the presence of God. He was willing to go out of his way to escape God's call on his life to proclaim repentance to the Ninevites. Now, to understand why Jonah was so opposed to this calling on his life, we need to know who these Ninevites are. And in case you haven't been doing any research on them, I'll tell you a little bit about them. Now, I want to say ahead of time, just give you a little bit of a warning, these were gruesome people. When the text says they were wicked, it's kind of an understatement, really. Um, And I'm not even going to be, I can't even tell you in full detail the kind of horrible things these folks did. Nineveh was a city in the Assyrian Empire. If you remember, the Assyrians are the ones who came in and wiped out the northern kingdom, ten tribes of Israel, wiped them out. That should tell you something about their cruelty. When they captured people, they didn't just kill them, they tortured them. They would dismember them while they were alive. Uh, Sometimes skin human beings alive. They weren't just bad, they were proud of how bad they were. Because after they did these horrifying things, they would have artists take big pieces of stone and carve pictures of the scenes of torture into the stones. And archaeologists have actually uncovered them. You can Google them if you want to. And see artistic renditions of the horrifying things these people did. If you want to really have a sense for how off-putting this is to Jonah, how shocking it is that God would call him to go and preach to these terrorists, think of how stunning it would be if God had called a Holocaust survivor to go plant a church in Berlin after World War II. 
or preach repentance to Hitler and SS officers. Think of what it would be like to go and call Joseph Stalin to repentance after he had murdered 20 million or so people. Or Saddam Hussein with the mass graves all over this part of the country. That sick feeling you have in your stomach right now would have been magnified and amplified hundreds of times for Jonah. So sometimes we think, man, this guy was just a bad dude. God had a job for him and he took off the other way, but maybe we can sympathize a little bit. After all, (laughs) what would we say to God if he said, I want you to go and plant a church in a city like Mosul, where ISIS was headquartered not too long ago? Would we be like, yeah, God, I'm on board for that. Sign me up. Or would we be looking for a ticket to <laughs> Tarshish, <laughs> wherever that may be for us. So we love to kind of get down on Jonah. It's like, you know, hey, man, God called him and he ran for it and he got swallowed by a fish. He got what he deserved. But I wonder how many of us would be jumping on board to do what God called Jonah to do. Or how many of us would be on the run <laughs> from God. It's no surprise that Jonah took off in the other direction. It's no surprise that he was willing to travel five times further than the place God was calling him to go. God was calling Jonah to minister to his enemies. And you can be sure he rationalized his his running. And we do that, don't we? When, When God wants us to do something and we're thinking, you know, there's some good reasons not to do what God wants me to do. He's called me to a certain place. He's called me to do something. Maybe He wants me to you know, share the Gospel with a family minister or bear witness to something He's done with a co-worker. And you know, they might think I'm kind of a Christian fanatic or a religious fanatic. Or maybe He wants me to move my family to the mission field and I've got a job and I've got things and responsibilities. It's just not a good time. For Jonah, he's probably saying, you know God, it's a long way away. Well, he was willing to go a long way the other way. So maybe that wasn't it. But he could have said, you know God, if I go to Nineveh, my countrymen... The other people, my neighbors, the people in my neighborhood, in my community, they might reject me. Why are you going talking to, preaching repentance to our enemies? And imagine what it would be like for an Israelite reading this after the exile. After the Assyrians had marched into the northern kingdom and wiped out all ten tribes. And after uh, that horrifying experience, their own sort of holocaust. Imagine a few hundred years later as faithful Israelites and faithful Judeans read this material and they thought to themselves, yeah, no kidding, he ran. We hate those people. We don't want God to rescue them. Now, none of us would say we don't want God to rescue somebody. But, you know, in our hearts, there's probably some people that we think, yeah, they're too far from God's grace. These folks, after all, are the enemy. They're the bad guys. It's us and it's them. What what business does God have showing them any kind of mercy? And yet Jonah is called to go and call them to repentance and to receive the mercy 
that God wants to give them. So Jonah gets on a boat, doesn't he? And as soon as he gets on the boat again, this is an action-packed story, the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea. I have this vision of a Major League Baseball pitcher when I, when I read that. I'm just like, you know, rearing back and hurling his fastest fastball down the middle. Just imagine God, blow it up big, hurling the storm at Jonah. I call this catastrophic grace. Right? Because God isn't trying to punish Jonah. He's trying to get his attention, isn't he? Jonah discovers all the way through that God is acting graciously towards him even though it's a mess, even though it's a catastrophe. So he's on this boat and God hurls a storm and the sailors are getting scared. They're afraid. They cry out to their own gods. Their own gods apparently don't answer. No surprise there. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. They wake up Jonah. They cast lots. The lots fall to Jonah. And, and then the interrogation happens, doesn't it? Who are you? Where are you from? What have you done to get us into this mess? Talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? These guys are just trying to do their job shipping freight from one end of the Mediterranean to the other, and all of a sudden this guy on the run from God shows up, and they're, they're, they're in a mess, aren't they? They are experiencing consequences of Jonah's sin, aren't they? Good reminder for all of us that Sin never affects only one person. Always has consequences for a larger community. So you know the story. Jonah fesses up. Yeah, I'm on the run from God. Well, what do we do? Well, just throw me overboard. Well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, wrong place at the wrong time just got a lot worse. Not only are we in this mess because of you, you want us to kill you and we'll be liable for your blood and then your God will be even more angry with us. Not only are we transporting you if we take your life, but eventually he, they're persuaded, they throw him overboard, and God sends this big fish. And so much of our reading of Jonah is obsessed with this fish. Here's the thing, friends. If God can make this world out of nothing, I'm sure he can make a fish that can swallow a guy. And it's not really the point, is it? Is it a fish? Is it a, is it a story? Is it a legend or any of those things? That's not the point, is this guy's on the run from God, and God won't let him go. We often maybe think of the fish as his punishment. And that's it's pretty, I'm, I've never been swallowed by a fish, but I imagine it's a bad experience. <laughs> maybe you know better, I don't know. But like we said with the kids, if you go overboard in a storm, you probably wind up dead. And really, this fish is a means of God's grace to Jonah. Catastrophic grace, but grace nonetheless. And all the way through this first chapter, we discover again and again and again that God is a gracious God, and running from God doesn't mean running out of grace. His grace goes on and on and on. There are a lot of people in this story that are far from God, aren't they? The Ninevites are far from God, and what does He do? He sends a prophet to preach repentance and forgiveness. The prophet doesn't want to do that, so he runs from God. What does God do? God comes after him with a storm and a fish to bring him back, to save his life. Running from God doesn't mean Jonah runs out of grace. God just keeps coming relentlessly after him. Those sailors, they're pagans. They're worshiping other gods, aren't they? Their gods aren't answering. And by the end of the chapter, they're worshiping Jonah's God, aren't they? 
They couldn't get away from God's grace either. All through this chapter, God calls Jonah. He sends a storm after Jonah. He sends a fish after Jonah because God is acting with grace. Jonah doesn't deserve forgiveness, does he? He's a rebel. He disobeyed God. He ran from the God who made him and called him and is who's his Lord. And yet God comes after Jonah with grace. He should have died that night. But God rescued him. And I think that's the thing that we need to zero in on. Is that in the moment when he should have been dead, God preserved his life. God brings him from death to life. Do you know Jesus talked about Jonah? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and ask for a sign. And Jesus, so good with words, he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign. I always wonder, what, what would a bishop say if a preacher said something like that? Jesus has always just got away with words. <laughs> so offensive in some places. Show us a sign, you evil generation. <laughs> You adulterer, you just want to see the fireworks. You just want to see the show. You don't really care about the gospel. That's what he's saying to him. You're only going to get one sign, and it's the sign of the prophet Jonah, he says. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. So Jesus takes Jonah's time in the fish and compares it to his death and resurrection. And in both instances, you've got this move. Somebody who's supposed to be dead, Jonah, winds up preserved and alive. He moves from death to life. And then you've got Jesus, who was dead, raised by the power of God. Jesus says, that's the one sign that matters. That's the one thing you're going to get. That's the one thing. Which invites us to remember why Jesus did that. Why Jesus went to the cross. Jonah would tell us Jesus went because we've all run from God at one time or another. Whether it was flagrant and obvious and public or whether it was interior and hidden and we were the only ones who knew it, all of us at one time have held God at arm's length and said, you know, God, I'm just not going to do it your way. We've rationalized it. We've come up with all sorts of good reasons. We run from God's call. I remember when I first started preaching, 2005. I had to go to this thing called Beginning Minister School at Blue Lake. And while we were there, we all had to give, all the kind of incoming preachers had to give our uh, kind of testimony of our conversion and our call how we became followers of Jesus and how we got called to ministry. And several people, really a, quite a large part of the group, had worked almost a full career in some other field. Engineers or businessmen, women. And several of them had the, their testimony was, you know, I felt called to preach in college. But I wanted to make some money. 
and I wanted to do this other thing, and I wanted to, whatever, whole list of things. I felt called, but I had to, didn't want to move. I felt called, but I wanted to do this. I felt called, but, but I felt called, but again and again and again. And it's so easy for us to fall into that same rut that Jonah falls in. I felt, I, I heard God's call, but I had other plans. Whether it's a person who's in ministry or somebody else, everybody's susceptible to running from God's call on their life. And so Jesus comes to us in that place where we hold Him at arm's length. We say, you know, I know you've got something for me, but I'm not interested in that. I've got plans. Your plans don't match my plans. And I'm going to choose my plans. And Jesus comes to us with nail-scarred hands. Nail-scarred hands that never give up. And you can run and you can run and you can run, but you can never outrun my grace to you. And if there's one thing we see through Jonah, and let me tell you, friends, this guy is just getting started. <laughs> you may know stubborn people. Don't look around. <laughs> this guy is stubborn. I mean, he's going to argue with God for the rest of the book. And spoiler alert, it, you never really find out what he does. He goes and preaches, but even after that, he is mad at God. His, he just he keeps on. Even when he's obeying, he's running. Next few weeks, we're going to dig into the stubbornness, and we're going to see just how deep this stuff goes and how deeply our running goes and, and how God comes to us over and over and over again in deeper and more lovely ways and more beautiful ways and how patient He is. How spectacularly patient He is. But today, I'm wondering how many of us need to take a moment and say, you know, Lord, there's this thing that You've been calling me do and I haven't been willing to do that I mean maybe you've never surrendered to God's call the first time he's saying you know I want you to be mine and you've always been kind of like hey you know I'm not ready for that I'm not ready to surrender my life to you Jesus if that's the call that needs to be first thing then by all means surrender but maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and there's this thing and he's been saying, this is the next thing. This is the thing that I want you to do. And it's just, I'm not ready for that. And i got a lot of good reasons why, Jesus. Not ready for that. And I've got a lot of good reasons why. I'm wondering if we can give those reasons up today. I'm wondering if we can surrender to whatever it is that God is calling us to do. And that operates on different levels, doesn't it? It operates on, 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 on us as individuals. You know, particularly, and this is, we don't want to miss this, God was calling Jonah to be a missionary, to bear witness to God's grace to people who don't know God. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? Jesus says, go, make disciples, preach the gospel, tell people I love them, call them to repentance, bring them into my family. And we go years without ever telling somebody how much 
Jesus loves them and how he's manifest that love in his death and resurrection. Maybe he's calling us to a renewed sense of evangelism. It operates on the individual level, it operates on the level of a whole church. My guess is, friends, the Lord is going to call us to do some new things in 2019. It's been a pretty exciting season for us the last few months. And I'm having a good time. I hope you are too. But my suspicion is God's going to call us to do something new. Probably uncomfortable. Massively important. And I'm wondering today if we can just sort of say, you know, Lord, whatever that is, we don't know what it is yet, but whatever it is, we're there. We're going to be surrendered. Whatever you call us to do. No matter how crazy it seems. (laughs) Not going to run from your grace. In a moment, we're going to break bread together. And as you come, won't you say that to Jesus? Whatever it is, Lord, this year, me as an individual, for us as a church, we want to be where you are and we want to do what you've called us to do. Not going to need a fish to come after us. Lord Jesus, how grateful we are that your grace abounds to us. And the most perfect way that you show us how your grace abounds is with your broken body and your shed blood. And with your resurrection. Lord, we want to set our eyes on that movement from death to life, on your death for us that we can be redeemed and reconciled to God and forgiven and made new, and your resurrection that promises new life and new birth and holiness and glory and beauty. We want our eyes set on that, Lord, and so today we come to taste and see your goodness with broken bread and the fruit of your cup.